Hi there, we're your IP consultants. This is about to be highly indulgent. So sit back and unpack your anti-convulsants. And we'll tell you where to shove your Stanleys and Vulcans. We'll use this device for unsolicited advice. You didn't ask us for it, but you can't beat the price. We offer up our services from the U.S. to Sweden. We're your IP consultants, Vincent and Ian. Cowabunga, dudes. Uh, this is the IP Consultants. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say cowabunga. <laughs> dudes and dudettes, Major League butt kicking is back in town. It's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles time talking for with us, the IP Consultants. Hi. <laughs> that intro might need a little work. I don't uh, care. My name is Vincent. <laughs> My name is Ian, and welcome once again to IP Consultants. Uh, clearly, as Vincent so eloquently put it, we are talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Why are we talking about the turtles today, Vincent? Well, I guess the most pressing thing is Michael Bay's production company, Platinum Dunes, is apparently supposedly rebooting Ninja Turtles again. They already did that. They made two movies and now they're starting over, which seems reasonable, except for the fact that it's Platinum Dunes. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles started out as a indie comic in 1984, created by by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. They went yep. under the name Mirage Studios because there were no studios. It was the only comic put out by Mirage Studios, and it was excellent. I, I think they put out a couple other comics later on. but Later on, yeah, but it, for a while it was just Turtles. It was an indie comic. They made it basically in Peter Laird's basement or something like that, and it became just an underground hit. It sold a lot, and people were requesting more issues, and they, they made more issues, and then eventually they wanted to make toys, and the only way they could make toys was by making a cartoon and so they started a relationship with playmates well yeah playmates for the toys and fred wolf for the cartoon Mm -hmm. and they made the very popular 1987 teenage mutant ninja turtles cartoon series that ran for 10 years and then there were movies three of them live action movies from new line i believe yes new line cinema which kind of predated the aforementioned wave of dark horse movies from new line in the 90s yes teenage mutant ninja turtles was one of those early comic book movies that on a lot of levels got it right. And then there was another live action TV series called Next Mutation from Saban. Which we generally try not to talk about because it's very rough. It's not well regarded. There, <laughs> there are some redeeming qualities, but there are also some not so redeeming qualities to that show. There was then another cartoon series in 2003 from four kids. You are skipping one key element. There were video games. There uh, were... One, one, not, not the video games. You're skipping the coming out of our shells tour. Well, yes, but I'm, I'm <laughs> mainly focusing on movies and TV shows right now for this little recap. But yes, there were a lot of there were a lot of side things. There were there was a music tour. There were two albums, I think, or maybe three. There was a Christmas one. Uh, no, there was only one album. There was a Christmas video. There was no uh, album that went along with it. I don't think. Okay. I had the first album. You had to get you got it through Pizza Hut, and I actually saw the tour. 
Um, but the the Christmas album is regarded as one of the worst things ever put to film. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and and that's that's where the the suit kind of came from in the next mutation because it kind of seemed like that would, they were leftovers from the coming out of their shells tour suits. No, they were better suits in next mutation. They were slightly better. Yeah, the the mouths were better animatronics, but the standing up design kind of looked similar. I, I can I can see where you're you're getting that idea. Also, the the Fred Wolf cartoon from 87 spawned a Archie comic reboot. Yes. Side boot. Uh, it was it was a comic that sort of started as an adaptation of the show and then went in its own direction. Then when there was a 2003 cartoon, there was another from Dreamwave. There was a short-lived comic by Peter David, who writes everything. Peter David, who's a good friend of mine, actually. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> I know him through through conventions from the East Coast. He uh, I did a play he wrote. Huh. And, and then there was the 2007 movie, TMNT, which was computer animated. Which is technically the fourth movie movie in the live action series even though it is not live action it does continue the storyline from the first three movies uh, apparently they consider that the fourth movie yeah and then there was a idw comic reboot and a nickelodeon animated series and then there was another nickelodeon animated series oh wait but between the that there was two Platinum Dunes movies, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. So those are a bunch of things. And some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are mixed. It's a lot of different things. And there's good ideas in all of them, pretty much, except for the first Platinum Dunes movie that had no good ideas in it. No, none. But looking at all of this as a whole, I, I would like to make an observation about what works best and what doesn't work. Okay. Because there's a thing that makes the comic work really well and that makes certain subsequent... So I think the thing that makes the comic tick that a lot of, like, adaptations kind of miss is this idea of taking really wacky concepts, out there ideas, really far-fetched, weird ideas, and then taking them completely seriously and then peppering it with a little bit of jokes. I I would agree with that. I think... uh Actually, I remember back when the Turtles comic came out and it was so insanely popular, even before the cartoon and the figures happened, there were other indie studios doing parodies of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. You know, there was you know, radioactive hamsters and and, and <laughs> there was all these like uh, things that used the, the, the four name opening and like it was... There was a lot of them. Yeah. There was actually a lot of them. And then when the cartoon came, there were even more of them. There were, you know, street sharks street and sharks. biker mice and uh, SWAT cats and <laughs> all sorts of things where yeah. you, you couple anthropomorphic animals with something cool. Samurai pizza cats. Uh, yeah. I always thought that the, the, the comic itself was, was super strong and super a lot grittier and more violent than what it became in the cartoon show, obviously, because they kind of geared that more towards kids. Yes. But uh, the comic of course, uh, being in black and white, we only knew the colors of the bandanas from the covers of the comics, and they were all red. They color-coded them for the cartoon series, and that's kind of been something that's kind of stayed with it since then to kind of differentiate the characters. Yeah, in, in most subsequent versions. The original comic was a, a parody of Frank Miller comics primarily. Yes. It was a lot of references to Daredevil and Ronin and uh, a couple other things. Daredevil's origin is tied directly into the Turtles' origin. Uh, the mutagen that falls off the truck the truck that it's driving is barreling down about to hit the old man matt murdoch young matt murdoch pushes him out of the way 
the canister that falls off is the canister that hits Matt Murdock in his face, blinding him. It's a can of mutagen. It falls down the sewer. The Foot Clan is a direct reference to The Hand in Frank Miller's Daredevil run. So they, they have a lot of ties together and, and at the same time parodies of each other in the series. Right. And as such, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a parody, but it's kind of an anti-joke because instead of taking something serious and looking at it through a goofy lens, it's taking this these goofy ideas and looking at them through a, a serious lens that they borrowed from Frank Miller. So it's like, it's an upside down parody in a way. <laughs> and a lot of subsequent versions kind of lose that and do just, here's some goofy ideas, let's do a goofy thing with them. And it's all just goofy. And then there are certain versions that try to sort of balance those two different approaches. And the interesting thing is, even in some of the goofier versions, there are ideas that could be reinterpreted in such a way that they could be taken seriously. Things like Bebop and Rocksteady and Krang and the Technodrome, those are all perfectly fine ideas that could be done in a serious fashion, and some of them have, to some extent, in uh, IDW comics or, or other versions. But I have had this thought, and I guess... This is where we start getting into the... the Because this is a weirdly structured episode already, but this is going to get really weird. Because <laughs> I have looked at so many of these versions, and I see things that could connect between, like, ideas from one thing and ideas from another thing, and you could connect them. Like, in the 2003 cartoon, there was the Shredder died at one point, except it turned out he didn't die. He was actually an alien. He was an Utrom. Utroms are these brain creatures with tentacles that Krang from the 1987 cartoon were based on. In the comics, they were generally good or neutral. And obviously, Krang was evil. And in, in the 2003 cartoon, they were generally good. And there was this one evil Utrom, not Krang, but the Shredder. And that's kind of where the show started to crack a little bit. Uh, I would say that that show was like mostly good for about four seasons. But the main problem with those first four <laughs> seasons was everything involving the Shredder after the point it was revealed that he was an alien because it diminished the character of the Shredder. Because the interesting thing about the Shredder... Oh, I am on such a sidetrack now because one of the most interesting things about the Shredder is the Shredder is a human being and the conflict between the Shredder and the Turtles is essentially an inversion of this idea of man versus monsters where the man is the bad guy and the monsters are the good guys and that's an interesting dynamic and that kind of goes away when it turns out that he's an alien. It also takes away from this thing of why is this guy like this? Oh, he's an alien overlord guy? Okay, I, like it, it takes away some of the like questions around the character that make him fascinating. Yeah, not just that though, but it also takes away from his origin related to Splinter. Yes. Because in, in the original comic and in the original cartoon, Orokusagi and Orokunagi, their origins were tied together. Shredder, I think, was Orokunagi. No, Shredder was Orokusaki. Orokunagi was his brother who died in the comic. Yes. And Hamato Yoshi was the owner of the rat that became Splinter. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Saki killed uh, Yoshi and so there was all that family ties conflict and you know Splitter kind of like already knowing who Shredder was but not knowing that he was the Shredder and so that, that, that origin tied in there 
with you know the impetus of the family of the turtles and everything having to go against someone who wronged splinter's family was always kind of interesting to me and i really kind of liked that dynamic to it when it was first revealed in the comic right and you lose a lot of that connection with making him oh he's just an alien it feels less personal yeah it definitely feels a lot less personal and that's what i was trying to say but couldn't find words right so i had this thought around that which is if you're gonna reboot teenage mutant ninja turtles you can use both of those ideas together and simply go, instead of this evil alien that founded the Foot Clan being the Shredder, and instead of saying, oh, the Shredder's been alive for hundreds of years and none of this is personal, you go, no, the Shredder's a human, but Krang founded the Foot Clan. That's entirely possible. Because if you take the origin of Chirel, the the alien Shredder, and you transpose that to Krang, you have this automatic story of, I mean, most of this is already written, you just have to shift it a little bit, because then you have this idea of the Utrams were transporting this uh, this war criminal, mass murderer Utram, through space, and they crashed in feudal Japan in like the 1400s, and the criminal got loose and disguised himself as a human and amassed sort of an army of ninja, and they turned against the Utrams, and then you have this idea of this Utram who hates Utram, which is an interesting <laughs> commentary on, on sort of self-loathing, and that's like a, a real-life thing that... that uh, that I don't need to explain. Uh, <laughs> the the idea then becomes that you have an Utram founding an army that is created in order to fight Utrams, and they have this belief that Utrams are demons. So they're thinking, we're protecting humanity, we're the good guys, we're fighting monsters, Tengu. And then the Utrams finally manage to send Krang to Dimension X, and then you get into that thing of like, Krang has been trapped in Dimension X for hundreds of years, so then you're basically basically leaving the Foot Clan to their own devices, and they're becoming this other thing where they're they're not just about, you know, fighting Utram, they become about, like, we need more and more power so that we can do this, and they sort of become these sort of warlords and stuff, and then eventually you get to the Shredder, and you can then also have this very personal story with the Shredder and Orokunagi and Hamato Yoshi, because if Hamato Yoshi is framed for the murder of Orokunagi in order to turn Orokusaki against the Utrams and Hamato Yoshi. And if Hamato Yoshi is working for the Utrams, for the Guardians, which is a sort of good ninja clan working for the Utrams, then you have this sort of conflict spawning from that, that you can build on in order to build the Shredder, because you can have this very confused young man becoming this bitter old man, and he follows Hamato Yoshi to New York, and he becomes sort of a, a daimyo of the New York criminal underworld. That's all really interesting and cool and dynamic but that's also very focused on the villain and I think well, what a lot of the movies are doing what a lot of the the, the reason we're talking about this is because we're talking about the movies is that they focus more on the turtles and not on the villain and I think honestly I think having a, a dynamic villain setup like that is a great idea but uh, most people listening to this are going to hear that and go but what about the heroes. Well, yes, but what I'm talking about is backstory that you would reveal later. It's not the focus of the story. It's something that you can build toward. Okay. Because when you introduce it, what you have is, this is a bit complicated because here's another thing that's like combining ideas from different versions. Master Splinter, in some versions, was a rat owned by Hamato Yoshi, who got mutated and somehow retained memories from having watched
watched Tamata Yoshi do martial arts, and now he knows martial arts, and it's very complicated. <laughs> then there's this other sort of simplified idea where Hamata Yoshi himself became a rat. Became Splinter, yeah. He got mutated with the rat, yes. Right. The thing is, you can combine those ideas, and I know how to do it. Well, having him... Have- Having Splinter be Hamato Yoshi is combining those ideas through mutation, but... Uh, <laughs> well, the idea that I have is, what if Hamato Yoshi, sitting in his apartment in New York some years ago, is uh, doing this sort of meditative exercise with his pet rat? He's doing this sort of mind meld type of thing, where he's, you know, he's, he's moving his head and the rat moves his head along with him, and it's, it's this thing that he's been working on, and he's connecting with the rat, and then there's a knock at the door, and it's Orokusaki, and he's come to collect a life, basically. Kill him. Yeah, so he kills him, and then he's dead, and then the rat scurries away, and then the rat mutates, and then later in life, the rat just sort of has these memory flashes of being Hamato Yoshi, because, like, there's a mind connection there, so you have, like, pieces of Hamato Yoshi transferred into the rat. Yeah, sort of almost a a soul transference or something like that, like, you know, putting his essence inside the rat. Right. And having having the rat sort of being a puppet at the moment of them working together, uh, and then he's killed and the the connection is severed but it seems like things were left over. Right. And then you can build that. It's interesting. And then you have this sort of subplot of Splinter sort of having these memory flashes and remembering this pain of his family being killed in retaliation and that's why, you know, Hamato Yoshi fled to America because he couldn't deal with it anymore. Uh, He had to flee because his family were murdered by the Shredder before he was the Shredder because the Shredder believed that Hamato Yoshi had killed his brother. His brother, yes. So that's a possible subplot, and then that ties together with that. And here's another weird thing. If you <laughs> if you have Baxter Stockman, Baxter Stockman is an engineer, robotics guy, mostly. Baxter Stockman is a villain. He was in the second issue of the comic, I believe. Yep. Uh, that was the introduction of uh, April O'Neil. April O'Neil in the original comic was not a news reporter. She was a programmer and sometimes hacker. And the idea that I had for how you can utilize Baxter Stockman and tie him in with everything is Baxter Stockman is getting telepathic messages from Krang from Dimension X to build the Technodrome in order to bring back Krang into this world through some sort of matter transference across universes or across dimensional barriers. And that's where you get Krang coming back eventually. Can I interject here real yes, quick? absolutely. Just on the topic of Baxter Stockman, we finally got Baxter Stockman in the movies in uh, Out of the Shadows, and he was played by Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry, yeah. Um, Tyler Perry presents Tyler Perry in the role of Tyler Perry, which, which uh, you know, in the original cartoon cartoon, the first cartoon, uh, Baxter Stockman becomes the Jeff Goldblum, the fly analog. He mutates into a fly. Yep. But he also created the Mausers, the little uh, robot mice catching enemies of the turtles. Uh, and I was waiting for that in the movie. I was waiting for him to create the Mausers. And I, I think the Mausers are something that would be really cool to see on screen that we haven't yet. Um, and that's done. Definitely something I, I think if you bring in Baxter Stockman, bring in the Mausers. He was never a fly in the comics. Let's keep him as a scientist. One thing that happened, I don't remember if this happened in the comics, but it happened in the 2003 cartoon, was that Baxter Stockman, when he was working with the Shredder, uh, was constantly being punished for everything he failed at, and he just had body parts cut off, and eventually he was just a head in a jar, or a brain in a jar, eventually, and he, he kept sort of building robot body parts for himself, and he became sort of this cyborg thing. I, I don't think they went as far 
are with did, it. As did they turn the him into Mutagen Man, basically? <laughs> sort of, I guess. Or or they turned him into Krang in a way because he was a brain who wanted a body. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, Baxter Stockman was went in a very different direction in various versions. Sometimes he's a fly, sometimes he's a robot. Uh, there might have been a Flyborg situation in the IDW comic. I don't remember. I enjoy the term Flyborg. That's just funny to me. I, I know that was a thing. I don't remember he, if he became Flyborg or, or if he built Flyborg. <laughs> but Flyborg was a thing in the IDW-verse. But, uh, where was I? Baxter Stockman building the Technodrome. Right, so Baxter Stockman builds the Technodrome because he believes that God is talking to him. Or he's he's he d- doesn't necessarily believe it, but he wants to test the theory that God is talking to him. Because he's a scientist and he's like, well, I'm hearing this voice and either I am losing my mind or I need to try this. I need to see what happens because like early tests seem to suggest that the voice in his head is correct about stuff. So then he has to do something. So he, he decides I'm going to build the Technodrome. So he starts sort of embezzling from his own company and stuff in order to build the Technodrome underground. And at some point, uh, April, who is reprogramming his security system because she gets a job at Stocktronics, she basically discovers what he's doing secretly. Right. So there's a lot of like ideas that exist that that just need connecting and it's they're not far from being connected it's all right there and i find this to be a fascinating thing because uh, i mean we haven't even really gotten into this episode in a normal way because no not at all because one thing that would come up is like do you reboot it or do you sequelize it or do you like the thing about teenage mutant ninja turtles is it's got so much potential that you can just keep rebooting it forever and it, i wouldn't say that about a lot of things and they have with all the different cartoon series yes Exactly. And sometimes it works and sometimes not. This morning, I watched the first episode of the current cartoon series, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's not my favorite so far, <laughs> but I'm I'm not going to condemn it completely yet because it's, I've only seen one episode and it seems unfair to judge it, but it's it. I'm not sold on it. But again, it's like you can just keep rebooting it until you get to something interesting because eventually you're going to get to something interesting. And they have many times. There are interesting things in the 87 cartoon. There are interesting things in the 2003 cartoon. There are interesting things in the 2012 cartoon. There are interesting things in the IDW comic. There are always interesting things. Well, almost always interesting things. Even the Platinum Dunes movies, the second one, not bad. Yeah, Out of the Shadows is not a bad flick. It's a decent, you know, comedy version. A, of a lot of people were really happy that we finally got Bebop and Rocksteady in a movie. So Yeah, and they were pretty much the Bebop and Rocksteady from the IDW comic. With elements from the uh, original cartoon. Not exact, but elements. Yeah, it was Bebop and Rocksteady, and they pretty much got those characters characters down. So what I'm hearing a lot from you on this is a lot of build up on the backstory of the kind of impetus behind the villains and the characters and what's going on behind the scenes of what's in a Turtles movie. Right. But while the connections are interesting, does that really translate into something that people are going to want to watch? With the Turtles movies, aside from the very first live action one, there's not a lot of quiet introspection scenes in the movies, they're mostly just vehicles for action, especially the Michael Bay ones. Anytime they tried to insert plot in those movies, were the weakest parts of the movie. Well, the problem is, all of the plot in at least the first of the Platinum Dunes movies 
in the Jonathan Liebesman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, all the plot stuff is very generic. All of the sort of changes, all of the things that they did specifically for that movie was just cliches. It was not using Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lore and it wasn't inventing new stuff. It was just using cliches instead of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lore. The thing about the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie is it's the first Amazing Spider-Man movie. It's the exact same plot. Yeah. It has the exact same sky beam. And they try to tie everything to each other's family. Like, the lizard owes Peter Parker's parents. Oh, by the way, the turtles were April O'Neil's turtles. You know, everything is, everyone knows each other, everything's tied together familially, and it has the same overarching plot because he's trying to put the mutagen throughout the city with the sky beam, and the lizard's trying to influence the city with his sky beam. Yeah, and he wants to... It's the same, they're the same movie. Yeah, and, and also he wants to poison the city and then sell the cure and become his words stupid rich that is yes that is the plot of the movie and the foot clan uses guns and it's it's a it's a I, whole I, I do love in the first movie that the first platinum dunes movie yeah the first platinum dunes movie that william fitchner was cast to play the shredder and people heard about that and went he's not asian <laughs> yeah he can't be the shredder so there are parts of that movie that are very clear where he was supposed to be the Shredder and then they finally brought in an Asian actor and <laughs> have him be the Shredder instead. They tried to set up the Shredder as like this cold, hard businessman instead to try to give it this new thing and they were like, no, we're not having those changes. And they actually, because remember there was that whole rumor where the Turtles were supposed to be aliens and then they dropped that. Yeah. There was a lot of things that happened with that movie before the movie came out that there are definite reshoots that changed a lot of it in that movie, which is also kind of why it, it is a goddamn mess. Yeah. That movie is indeed a mess. You were talking about how all of the movies are just vehicles for action and any time they try to bring in plot it falls apart and I think the problem is that they don't do good plot and they don't do good introspective stuff and they are vehicles for action and that's the problem. I would say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles works best when there is an element of introspection and some of the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics are about just character and I feel like that's something that you really need in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is, is the relationships between the turtles and their sort of struggle to stay alive more than being heroes even it's about survival and not just that i mean they, they always get the the element of brotherhood in the thing but you're right the survival element definitely does need to be there but what i'm saying is your backstory for them is in a word convoluted well it's supposed to be convoluted it's very intense uh and i don't know how much with that amount of backstory well people will want to sit through the thing is you don't <laughs> have to get it get into all of the backstory in the movie one the thing is the only things you need to know in in movie one is who are the turtles what are they fighting for who is master splinter why is master splinter and that's about it you don't really need to get into all the stuff i'm just saying these elements are things that you can use as the elements that bubble on in the background okay. while you're telling the story about the characters. Because that's the main focus, is the characters and how they are dealing with the situation that they're in. Yeah. The situation that they're in is they are brothers, they are living in the sewer. Here's another thing. Raphael is a, a grumpy guy. 
<laughs> and he's very much running right into danger and he's the first one to throw a punch etc and he's buddies with Casey and I had this idea where you can have the turtles be separated for a time and this partially comes from the IDW comic although I would do it differently because they they mutated into teenagers which makes no sense to me what I would do is they would mutate as babies and they would grow up together to a point and then get separated and you get Raphael ending up on the streets with Casey for a couple years and then they get reunited and then you have this sort of broken relationship between the brothers because he's bitter at them for not finding him sooner because they had this rule of like you can't go out out of the sewer and he was like well I had to go out of the sewer because the sewer was caving in this idea of the sewer is safe no longer made sense I had to get out of there so it's you're you're all at fault for not coming and finding me and that's how you get that relationship of him being kind of the grumpy one so to speak because then you have this background of conflict between him and the brothers who in his eyes failed him. The story in part becomes about rebuilding that relationship between all of the brothers because you have this complicated thing arising of like maybe Michelangelo is the one who's been really fighting for going out there and looking for Raphael and everyone else is like Raphael is dead. What are you talking about? Just stop. So then you have also that sort of thing and you have this sort of fractured thing and you build that toward the end of the movie and that's where they all sort of come together and they're all a family, right? And with April and everything. And another thing, another thing, April O'Neil is a programmer. Donatello is an engineer. Why why not do a thing where they are like online buddies already before they meet and she has no idea that he's a fucking turtle. So... So basically, she's tutoring him online in programming. As far as she knows, he's just this kid named Donnie Hamato who has body dysmorphia and doesn't want to leave the house. And then she finds out that, oh, shit, Donnie Hamato is a, is a turtle, a mutant turtle. A six foot five turtle. <laughs> Well, five foot something, I think. Because that's another thing. In the Michael Bay movies, the turtles were huge. They were enormous. And that makes no sense to me because, one, they're ninja. The whole thing is like... They're supposed to slip through in the shadows. And in the like the, the first trailer for Ninja Turtles, the first thing that happens is like Michelangelo slams down on a roof or something. And it's like, boom, and it's like, that's not how a ninja lands on their feet. What are you doing, movie? And I think one very important thing is the turtles are short. They are shorter than April, preferably. So that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in the, in the original Eastman and Laird comics, they look to be about like four feet tall. I think they're supposed to be like around five foot, but I don't don't really know how feet works because I'm European. Um, <laughs> but that's what I think I heard somewhere. Can I interject here? Yes. One of the things that I'm noticing with your pitch here is something that we've kind of been shying away from in previous discussions on reboots and kind of sequels and such like that is the reintroduction of yet another origin story. And you are hardcore pushing for yet another origin story. Whereas in previous iterations, especially with these characters, everybody knows their origin or knows a version of their origin. In the new Turtles cartoon, I have not seen the most recent Turtles cartoon, but you said you just watch the first episode. Do they rehash the origin in that episode as well? They do not. And they already know April and it's like they've been doing this for a while. Okay, so that is where a concern comes in for this reboot that we're kind of pitching for is that 
most people know a version of the turtles origin know a version of how they came about what they've been doing so to have that be in another movie again is another detraction for viewers i think i think that's where i disagree because the key is i think to really focus on the emotional importance of the origin because it's just like with batman whenever you show bruce wayne in that alley and his parents getting shot that can be like super annoying because like oh we've seen this shit Mm -hmm. but the thing is if it has an emotional importance to what's going on in the story that you're telling then it matters and then it becomes a key moment in in the story that you show it because it is what created the character and what causes him to make the choices that he makes and i think that's the stuff that you want to focus on in the origin of teenage mutant ninja turtles when you show it is you show the parts of the origin that a we haven't necessarily seen all of the parts of the origin that I'm thinking of. And B, the things that you show are moments that specifically inform choices that the characters make. That's the thing. So I think the things that you want to show about the origin are, yes, you want to you want to open on a scene of Hamato Yoshi connecting with the rat. And then you want to cut to, after that scene, you want to cut to the rat sort of coming out of meditation in the sewer or something. And the turtles are already training possibly. And you can like flash through between that. You can have a quick flashes of just the stuff falling into the sewer, the turtles mutating, like that's quick flashes. You get through that in like a few seconds because the important part is like you get to see the turtles before they were split up. You get to see Raphael was the good student. He was the original uh, Leonardo in a sense. He was the one who was paying attention. He was the one who was doing the meditation. And meanwhile, uh, Leonardo was sleeping while pretending to meditate. So that's how you get into that scene where Leonardo sort of wakes up after Splinter announces that, oh, we're done meditating for now. And, you know, Leonardo is like, I wasn't sleeping sort of thing. And you show that Raphael was the good student because that's the thing you want to focus on. You want to focus on where the characters were at. And then the thing happens where, you know, there's some rumbling above and then the ceiling falls down and they're all separated and then they go around it and they everyone comes back and they find like a little piece of Raphael's plastron and a big rock and it's like they just assume that he's dead and so they got to find a new place to live and then we cut to like years later and Raphael is out on the street in a, a black ninja garb which is a reference to the Archie comic. Which is a reference to the Archie comic, but also this this whole thing of them thinking Raphael is dead is from the IDW comics, isn't it? Yes, it is. But in the IDW comic, they were separated right after mutation and they had no relationship really. So what I want to focus on is you want to build that relationship over years, which is, you know, one scene and a quick montage, basically. <laughs> you want to establish the relationship that they had before they were split up so that they were split up at age let's say 13, and they get back together at like age, uh, maybe 15. So like they've been separated for like two years because that's enough time for like Raphael to get really jaded and be like, no, I don't I don't care about all this ninjutsu stuff. I, it's all about survival out here. So he's hanging with Casey, Casey and they're on like a mission of trying to get Casey's neighbor Angel out of the Purple Dragons gang. Like that's what they're doing. And meanwhile, Michelangelo is sneaking out and he finds them and he's like, that's got to be Raphael. That that looks like it might be Raphael. And then he goes back to the... To, to the <laughs> what other giant turtle could it be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, he's wearing ninja garb, but that's clearly a turtle. So he comes back to this, the new sewer lair and he tells the others that, hey, I, I think I found Raphael. 
we got to go save him. And they're like, no. And then, you know, he managed to convince them and they, they run out and they basically go on a secret mission without telling Splinter topside. They go out and they go and find and rescue or sort of help out at least Raphael in this situation that he's in. He's been captured by the purple dragons. And then they basically have to say goodbye and leave him with a shell phone because he's like, I'm not coming back to the fucking sewer. I've got stuff to do. I'm, I've got, I don't have time to you guys leave and and Donatello's like no take this phone and if if you when you're ready call us is shell phone from something cuz that's brilliant the shell phone <laughs> i believe is from the 2003 cartoon <laughs> They leave him with a way to contact them. And then we have like a starting point for that. And like, and, and meanwhile, you have Donatello on, on the shell phone with April, who's like at home at night be, being woken up by a Skype call, essentially, and helping them out trying to get into this abandoned building that they're rescuing Raphael from. And then you have like a starting point there. And then it turns out that there's a connection between the Purple Dragons and Baxter Stockman because he's been buying stolen stuff from them. And that's how you get into the thing of April. O'Neill is starting to investigate Baxter Stockman from inside the company. And then it turns out that Baxter Stockman is building something. And that's all happening while you've got this whole thing with the Shredder going on. Because that's all building toward sequel stuff. Or third act stuff. Yeah. Depending on how you structure it. So we're seeing a lot of connections to the... uh, Well, basically, your version of this reboot is kind of connecting all the versions. Yes. You're taking elements from every version of the Turtles in various forms of media, be it the original comics, the IDW comics, the original cartoon, the modern cartoons, and all kind of like putting it all in a blender and seeing what cool combinations you can come up with for this. Yeah. And it's at least it's got focus on on where you because you clearly (laughs) have put all of these thoughts in well before we got to this podcast. Yes, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been thinking about this since like every piece of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles media I've been consuming over the years has gone into these thoughts where it's like oh, this would connect nicely with this. Oh, this would connect nicely with this. So it's like it's all sort of been bubbling in my brain. I even wrote down like 30 pages of script for like I guess a first act of a movie or a first half of a pilot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I sent you a link to, but you didn't read it. I didn't get a chance to read it, no. But uh, yeah, so just just so that we're letting our audience be aware of, this is clearly something that he's not pulling off the top of his head like we do in most episodes. This is something that you have kind of been gestating with for a number of, of years. Yes. <laughs> clearly, you've kind of dominated the, <laughs> the speaking in this episode. Yes. Uh, most of my turtle knowledge came very early on with the original cartoon and, of course, the first three live-action movies, the comic book before that, but not really having much Turtles stuff, lore, what have you, in my life since then. I did read a couple issues of the IDW comic, only because one of the writers is a writer that I know and and wanted to kind of read and and check that stuff out for. But there's definitely been some heavy pre-work on your case in this. That said, that is what kind of throws the structure of our show off, because usually by this point we're going, well, what do we want to see in that? Right. You've already laid out everything that you want to see in this reboot because this is this is clearly a reboot because you're already giving the origin again yeah this is not a sequel to anything that's come before and yet it's also using a lot of the elements of everything that's come before right yeah um so you're kind of like interconnecting every last version that has been with the exception of the live action tv show 
the next mutation. The thing uh, is, you can get that in there too. You can get to that if you do enough sequels. Yeah, bring in Venus de Milo, though. Then why not? Well, I have an idea for Venus de Milo for like way down the line. Of course you do. But it's 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 actually two ideas because I'm splitting that idea in two. Do you want me to tell you what it is? I don't think I want to hear it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go right ahead. Okay, so first of all, Venus de Milo in in the show is not her actual name. It's a nickname that she's given by the turtles because the writers are assholes. But she has a name. Uh, It's a Chinese name. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, if you have that character as instead of being sort of an idiot who mutated somewhere else and well, what you can have is because the Utrams have been around since the like 1400s on Earth, there could have been an earlier spill and there could have been a turtle that mutated a long time ago, like a couple hundred years back at least, because you can combine this character with the ancient one, which was an idea from the 2003 cartoon that didn't quite work. But you take these two ideas that didn't quite work and you combine them and you have an ancient turtle who has some sort of mystical training rather than ninjutsu training, who comes in eventually as like an old, wise turtle mutant who's like the first mutant turtle from way back. That's an idea. Another idea, if you're going to throw in the name Venus de Milo, you make the the turtle bot, which has had numerous names, Metalhead was one of the names that the turtle bot had and another was just yeah. turtle bot. But yeah, you have Metalhead, but you have whoever built Metalhead, whether it's Baxter Stockman or Donatello or whoever, say this is my masterpiece, this is my Venus de Milo. That's your little nod to that name is to go, because the whole problem with the name Venus de Milo is it's not an artist, it's a work of art. Exactly. Right, so if you build the turtle bot, that's Venus de Milo. The thing I, I, I love most about your pitch for this Turtles reboot is you are taking all of the ideas that didn't work and trying to make them work. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the fun of it. That's the thing is, like, there are a lot of things that, like, could have worked if you just do some stuff. But I mean, not just so far as this movie failed. All the elements of things that, like, they started to do and it didn't pan out. You're like, well, let's go back to that. Yeah. I think that's commendable <laughs> because it's you're doing what a lot of writers nowadays would probably shy away from, which is kind of trying to rehash things that they've tried and didn't work. Well, let's push it again and make sure that we make it actually good this time. Well, yeah, I think the key is not to dismiss every idea, but to go, what about this idea didn't work? What was the thing that made it not work? Is there a nugget of a good idea in this if we interpret it differently, if we put it in a different context, if we connect? this with this other idea. If we take this idea that didn't work and this idea, because there's so much you can do with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you can, I'm going to say this because it's generally really bad advice, but you can do a cinematic universe. You can make movies in the world of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that are not specifically about the Ninja Turtles. You don't necessarily have to start with the Ninja Turtles, although you definitely should. And you shouldn't aim at making an expanded universe, but you can do that. Eventually, you can get there. You can get to a cinematic universe because there's so much lore. There's stories where the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles go to space, and there's this guy named the Fugitoid, who is uh, Professor Honeycutt, whose brain gets transferred into a robot, and he becomes a fugitive because robots don't have rights, and he has the plans for a teleporter, and teleporters are the most dangerous weapon in the universe because you can transfer a bomb right into the middle of a city or the middle of a planet. That's a whole movie in and of itself. You could have 
have uh, side stories and and just have a just Casey Jones movie yeah. or just Raphael's solo movie, a solo movie for each turtle yeah. because they each have had solo comics. Yeah, and you can have even back with the Eastman and Laird books, they each had solo books of them going out on their own. Yeah, the micro series, uh, kind of more character development stories for those things. So once you have the first turtles establishing movie, you know you have Raphael, a teenage mutant ninja turtle story, or Casey Jones uh, side story, or an April O'Neil side story. I definitely can see that working. I wouldn't call it an expanded universe so far. Well, the it's thing an is- expanded universe in the way the X Men movies kind of had an expanded universe with the solo Wolverine movies. You can do Mighty Mutanimals. You can do... We need the Mighty Mutanimals, definitely. Yeah, and you can do the more expanded backstory of Krang, of how Krang became Krang. And we how- need the punk frogs. We need we need the punk frogs from the, uh, the original cartoon. Basically, the frog analog version of the turtles, but they were punk, and they all spoke in surfer stuff, which is a weird thing. They called themselves the punk frogs, but they all spoke in surfer speak. That's a weird combination of things but yeah we could you could have the spin-off of that yeah mondo gecko yes bring back all the wacky anthropomorphic characters and give them each their own movie yeah but the- bring in usagi ojimbo who is not even connected to the turtles but guest starred in the comics and cartoon and yeah. had a figure well yeah, usagi bring in cerebus the aardvark who is not even connected in the turtles universe but had a crossover in the comics usagi ojimbo actually crossed over with ninja turtles on multiple locations in yeah. in multiple universes because he was in in the original Mirage comic and they were in his comic and he was in the IDW comic I think yeah well he's definitely in the Archie comic and he was in the Fred Wolf cartoon he was in the Four Kids cartoon he was in the Nickelodeon show he's been in a lot of different crossovers with the Ninja Turtles yep. so if you can get Stan Sakai to sign off on it then you know that's also something you can play around with and the thing is if you give him his own movie that spins off a whole nother series because Usagi Ojimbo is a hugely deep and rich character that I think would be really cool to explore in films, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about his introduction in the Turtles and how that could spawn its own thing, basically. Right. And also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is so open to crossovers that they have crossed over with themselves on multiple occasions because you've had... Which I love. uh, There's been a crossover between the 2003 Turtles and the 87 Turtles. There's been a crossover between the 2012 Turtles and the 87 Turtles. There's been two crossovers with Batman, two different Batman and two different sets of Turtles. And there's been... And the crossovers with Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah. So yeah, they, they, <laughs> they've had it in the comics and then they had figures recently of the turtles dressed as the Ghostbusters, which I wish I had, but don't. So the thing is, if we're talking to Platinum Dunes, which I, I wish we weren't because I don't trust them generally, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt with Bumblebee, and I thought Out of the Shadows was fine. It, it wasn't everything it could have been, but as a sequel, it was more than it could have been, because that movie went above and beyond fixing the previous movie. They can do a crossover with Transformers. They can do a crossover with G.I. Joe. They can do that, as long as, you know, Nickelodeon... As long as Nickelodeon, Viacom, and Hasbro are on board with it. Well, yeah. Don't don't Playmates still make the figures? I think they've been on and off, but I think they are on again. Yeah, because Playmates shuddered for a while, I think. And I think they're back and I think they're doing the new figures now. And Hasbro is, I mean, that's a whole nother story is they're trying to start the Hasbro movie universe. Right. But yeah, so having that crossover would be interesting. I don't even know if they're the same studio heads, but whatever. It might be difficult. It's something that's sort of on the table where it's like, if you have the ability to do crossovers, you can eventually. Because the thing about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is there are no rules to what 
can't happen, really. There are only rules to what you shouldn't do with regard to the characters, because there's a certain core of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that you don't want to stray from. Here's the thing. The 2003 cartoon, for four seasons, it worked pretty well, you know, except for the bit where the shredder got kind of ruined. The turtles themselves worked really well for those four seasons. And then there were three seasons where they drowned in gimmicks. And the gimmicks were, in season five, they got magical powers and dragon avatars. It was trying to be a different show. It was trying to be, you know, some sort of Naruto or Yu-Gi-Oh or something. I've not really seen either of those things, but I felt like very much in season five, also known as the lost season, also known as Ninja Tribunal, it got away from the premise because they went to a faraway land and they learned magical powers and it wasn't the same anymore. And then in the next season after that, it was fast forward. They went to a bright and happy future and they were walking around in the sunlight and they had energy-based weapons, I think. And it was a whole thing where it's, and there was a kid named Cody Jones who had a robot butler and it was just, it was really bad. And then there was Back to the Sewer, which was, they were trying to get back to basics, but at the same time, there was this gimmick of sort of Tron stuff happening where there was an arc where they had to, I think, rescue the missing pieces of a digitized Master Splinter in a digital world. So that was a whole thing that detracted from the core of it. And the thing is, that's the thing that is the only thing that really needs to stay itself is you have the turtles. They are the down-to-earth thing in a world that is just getting increasingly difficult to deal with. And the thing is, the stuff around them, as long as you have that core of, like, they're, they're Ninja Turtles, they're based on Earth, you can do, like, adventures in space. You don't want to do, like, a whole movie trilogy of Turtles in space. You can do a movie of Turtles in space. You don't want to do three. You don't want to do a season of Turtles in the future. You can do an episode of Turtles in the future, which has been done and worked really well. So the thing is, when you get away from the core of the turtles are the down-to-earth thing and the weird stuff is coming at them, as long as you have that core, I think you can have any weird shit happen. You can have time travel stories with Lord Simultaneous and uh, Timestress Renette, or Apprentice Timestress. But yeah, you can do a time travel adventure with Renette, which I don't get why Renette wasn't in the third fucking movie, because that would have made it funnier. That was such a boring movie. So yeah, I think the thing to really have is you gotta have that core of the turtles are people in the form of monsters just trying to live their lives and there's a bunch of shit happening all the time. And as long as you have that, the shit that's happening, there's really no limit to what that shit is, as long as it doesn't happen for too long. Okay. Because, again, they can go to space, but not for a whole season. They can go to the future, but not for a whole season. You don't want to spend too much time away from the core premise. When you first started talking about the Turtles, you mentioned how the comic originally began as a parody of other comics and the goofiness was because of its parody nature. And it's kind of definitely, at least in your interpretations of it and in in all the interpretations that have come since the original source material, that it has moved past parody. Do you think there is uh, an element in a reboot where it could move back into parody? And I'm not talking like parody like The Tick is a parody of superhero comics, but in the way that The Turtles was originally a parody. Well, yeah, I think in terms of like deadpan parody, where you can have the most ridiculous ideas, as long as you take them seriously within the story, the danger that is happening is real danger. The characters are going through real emotional stuff. As long as you have that, the ideas, the stuff that is happening can be super wacky. And that's the joke is here's all this wacky shit and we're taking it seriously. And the humor that you can have is just 
the characters cracking jokes or the characters commenting on how weird the things that are going on are, but not getting away from the core of this is really happening to them and it's really difficult for them to deal with. And that's why Michelangelo cracks a joke every once in a while, because that's how he copes with all this weird shit that's going on, because otherwise he would snap. Um, And I think that's the sort of thing to cling to is, yes, it's a parody and that's why you can have any idea happen, but you have to take it seriously on some level because that's what the comic did. Right. It's a serious journey into ridiculousness. <laughs> serious journey into ridiculousness. That's kind of a great episode title. Um. Okay. All right. I think there's so much here that this may be something that we revisit later. I want to try something. Okay. So listeners, we have an email at ipconsultantspodcast at gmail.com. You've heard the episode. Tell us what you think of this pitch and give us some ideas that you have for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot and maybe we will revisit this in another episode and bring in more of the ideas that Vincent clearly has. (laughs) But... I think this right here is probably where we put the cap on this episode because there is we've reached a point where we're kind of jumping back onto what we have already discussed. Yeah. Also, I'd I'd like to revisit this topic after you've read my 30 page unfinished script. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely would like to do that. Uh, and I, I apologize for not getting to it. It was a holiday week. So. Yeah, it, it's 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 fine that you didn't. But I'd like to revisit this after you do, because I'd like to hear your thoughts both on what my brain vomited onto the page and whether it shines any more light on what I've been talking about. So, listeners, if you could send us an email at ipconsultantspodcast at gmail.com tell us what you think of the pitch given, give us your ideas, or give us an idea for another episode, something that you'd like us to discuss, another IP that you think we should talk about on another episode. You can also visit us and tweet us at ipconsultpod on Twitter or facebook.com slash ipconsultpod. The podcast can, of course, be found at ipconsultants.podbean.com or SoundCloud dot com slash IP consultants. I think that's enough for this episode. Vincent, thank you so much for your very detailed analysis and ideas for how to reboot this series. I, I've kind of been the moderator of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for that. We'll delve into this topic again in another future episode. Let us know your thoughts about this, listeners. My name is Ian. This is Vincent. Yes. Uh, have a tasteful tuna. Turtle power.